There we are. I have my live on-air signal from the back. Well, good evening and welcome, and thank you for joining us for this series on Psalms and Proverbs. Some of you, of course, were with us last week, and for you, this is second in our series of studies called Psalms and Proverbs. And so if you're here for the first time this evening, don't have a copy of this, raise your hand. We'll make sure that you get that. Miss Wendy, let me get over to you and pass that on. Thank you. And if you're watching from home on our live stream or perhaps watching this later in the course of the week, uh, please let us know you're watching and ask for a copy of this and we'll be glad to send it to you. It's an outline, basically, it's introduction and outline to this series of studies in Psalms and Proverbs. And you'll see from the schedule below, one week we'll look at a psalm, next week a proverb, then a psalm and a proverb, all the way through to March 29, which is not that far from Easter, believe it or not. And in fact, I was looking today and Easter's about 14 weeks away, which is just ridiculous when you think in those terms, but there it is. Now, this evening, having looked at Psalm 84 last week, we're looking at Proverbs. And so tonight, we're coming to Proverbs 3, 1 through 8. And many of you, of course, have committed to memory Proverbs 5 and 6, which is arguably the most memorized passage in all of Proverbs. And so that's where we're going this evening. So let's begin Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. The writer to Proverbs, who was Solomon, and we'll touch on this in the course of our studies, he writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. They will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us his word. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather on this somewhat cold January evening, we do thank you for the food we have enjoyed and the day that is now past. We thank you it's been for many of us a productive day. For others it has been a normal midweek Wednesday. Father, whatever kind of day we've had, We ask now for your presence with us. Open up your word. Open it up in such a manner that it will speak into the circumstance and situations of our lives. Father, we come from different situations and backgrounds. Some of us came from work an hour ago. Others of us have been concerned about children and grandchildren. Others concerned about the year that lies ahead. Some of us concerned about children and grandchildren. Some of us concerned about parents and grandparents. The relations at work. Father, whatever is on our mind this evening, enable us, please, as we come to your word, to rest in you this night. 
And Father, as we pray for ourselves this evening, we pray for children and youth in the other parts of the building. We pray for those who are here performing for choir and preparing for Sunday. We thank you for each one. And may this place be a place of sanctuary, a sacred space on a Wednesday evening where we are able to spend time with you. Now bless us please as we explore together Proverbs chapter 3. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now by way of introduction, and I promise I won't do this every Wednesday evening, but I did promise I'd do it for the first couple of Wednesdays just to give those who weren't with us last week an opportunity to catch up. And so as we come to Psalms and Proverbs for today, last Wednesday, this is what we said. Down through the centuries, each generation of Christians seeking to grow in their faith has turned to the inspired poems of the Psalms and the wisdom literature of Proverbs. They have done so as they wrestle with the full range of human emotions and experiences life brings to them. Prayerfully and quietly, laying themselves bare before the heart of God, they have learned what it means to engage with the practical lessons of Proverbs while enjoying the exalted heights of devotion and personal challenge contained in the Psalms. And that's exactly where we were last Wednesday evening when we looked at Psalm 84. And those of you who are here will remember that Psalm 84 begins, How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, to me. And the psalm goes on, My heart and my soul cry out for the living God. And we said last Wednesday evening that the psalm was probably uh, written as a psalm to be sung in worship, possibly with the background of pilgrims heading towards Jerusalem, envisaging what it was like to wander into the temple precincts and to worship God. But we also made the point that the heart passion of the psalmist was not about a place, it was not about the temple, but rather it was for the living God himself. And that was the focus of our attention last Wednesday evening. And tonight as we come to Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to learn several things about Proverbs. And the first is this, that Proverbs belongs to a book of the Bible known as wisdom literature. And that's a distinct category on its own. In some sections of the Old Testament, you're going to find prophetic books. In other sections you're going to find the historical books. In other sections you're going to find books absolutely packed with adoration and devotion and praise, which is where we were last Wednesday. And here we have wisdom literature. In chapter 1, verse 1, Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, a very new king of Israel, took over from his dad, of course, identifies himself as the author. And so the sayings and the wisdom literature, mainly in Proverbs, now there's wisdom literature spread about in different places, but mainly in Proverbs come from Solomon. And it comes, and we know this, excuse me, we know this from 1 Kings chapter 3. And we read, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now that's quite an invite, isn't it? It's a little like some of us imagining when we were children and someone said, well, if you had a genie in a lamp and you rubbed the lamp, what would you wish for? 
Well, your little imagination as a child explodes. But this is not that. This is God who has brought Solomon to the kingship to rule over Israel after a civil war, after the death of David. And he says to Solomon, Solomon, what would you like me to give you? So what should a new king ask for? What would a president ask for? To get inflation under wraps? Solve a problem at the southern border? Provide new resources to people across a nation of over 330 million people? What would you ask for? Second, secondly, what are you praying for in 2023? Let's imagine you and I have gone out somewhere for a cup of coffee together and we're chatting and catching up. And I'm asking you about your family. We begin with a conversation here. And then that conversation gets a little deeper. A little deeper again. And a little deeper again. And eventually I ask you, now tell me, how is your walk with the Lord? What is it that's exciting you about your faith? What are the things when you are quietly engaged with him and no one else can hear? What is it you would ask him for in the year ahead? Would it be to be a better parent? Possibly. Better grandparent? Great-grandparent? To live out your faith day by day with a desire to do so well? To have a pure heart and mind? To be there for friends and family when they need you? What would you ask for? And Solomon asked... For wisdom. And he writes, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a child and do not know how to carry out my duties. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. The Lord was pleased with Sol- that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have, sorry, that should say, you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administrating justice, and I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. Now that might seem a little tame on the outside. A discerning heart. And then when you stop and pause, it could also mean this. Father, help me to know how to respond to the death of a child. A husband or wife who are showing signs of dementia. Give me the wisdom to know that when I get to a particular stage in my life, I need to downsize into a smaller home and to handle that well with all of the emotion of giving up a family home and downsizing. Help me understand what to do when my husband loses his job or 
My boss comes to me and says, you're no longer required. Give me discernment and wisdom to know what to say when I'm estranged from my child. Help me to know what to do when I discover that my adult child age 22 is showing all the signs of drug addiction. What on earth do I do? Wisdom and discernment are so much more important than simply print on a page. And that's why Proverbs is so helpful. That's why we said in the introduction, the Psalms take us to the busy heights of adoration and devotion. But with Proverbs, we have that practical counsel of how to live out our faith in a manner that glorifies God, brings understanding to us, and models faith for others who are watching. Now, I don't say that lightly. And we shouldn't go around our lives thinking, okay, how do I do this in order to impress others? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Living out your faith with authenticity and credibility is important. And so God says to Solomon, I will give you a wise and discerning heart. There's so much more than we first imagined. And then we read, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man. First Kings 4 goes on. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Here was God-given insight. Isn't it always so helpful when you sit down with a good, trusted friend and you get good advice? And you think, why didn't I think of that? Or sometimes you come away from those conversations and you think, actually, I knew that, but it made a world of a difference to have someone else confirm what was going on in my mind and in my heart. That's wisdom. That's those moments when you begin to sense God is at work in the midst of it all. Now, Proverbs is not the only place where wisdom is mentioned. We read in James 1, chapter 5, excuse me, James chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, that person should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. I would have to tell you that in my walk with Christ, when I'm in those moments of deep dependency, seeking his will, and he begins to show gradually, usually over a couple of weeks, exactly what he wants me to do and where he wants me to go and how he wants me to respond, I often think, oh, that was the last thing I wanted to do. 
because I wanted to do this and this and this and this because and how many times on Wednesday evenings or Wednesday lunchtimes have we said we come to a situation we know exactly what needs to be done and if only God would do this and this and this and this and sort her and sort him and fix the next thing then it would be solved and of course 90% of the time we're wrong but it's that deep dependency on him James says exactly that. If anyone lacks wisdom, that person should have a deep dependency on God who gives generously. Do you see that wrapped up in should ask God? There is no point asking him if you don't want to hear his answer. Ever been in an argument and you say to the other person, I really want to know what you think. When actually what you want them to do is reiterate what you've already said. Not to have their insight. And so it comes with that deep dependency which Solomon was displaying. Notice what James says. He gives generously without finding fault. Secondly, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to what? Fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that the kind of prayer you would want to pray for a husband, a wife, a child, a teenage, young adult son or daughter, that God would what? Fill them with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he goes on, and I've highlighted it in black, and we pray this in order that you may live a life what? Worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way. Because knowledge and wisdom and discernment is not given to us in order that we feel superior in order that we come across a smart probably 30 years ago I was in my early 40s at the time and an older uh, minister he was retired he would be in his 70s at that point and he said to me Richard when you're working with individuals it is helpful for you to be able to assess all that is happening in the decision-making process that you're focused on. I said, okay, I'm not quite sure what you're telling me here, but kind of unfold this and tell me more. He said, well, if you're working with a group of people trying to get a project done, whether that be refurbishing the grounds of a church, raising funds for a new hall, putting together a children's charity, whatever it is. It's always good to listen and watch and get a feel for what's going on. I said, okay, why are you telling me this? He said, well, I'm telling you because I've learned over the years that there's such a thing as emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence means this, that you're aware of your own feelings, your own desires, but also those of the group. And then he said, slightly tongue-in-cheek, he said, over the years I've learned in working with a number of CEOs who are often brilliant, insightful, hard-working individuals, he said, you can always tell a CEO 
but you can't tell them much. <laughs> I thought, okay, okay, you, you might be right. In the fact you're laughing, you, you understand what he was saying. And so it's weighing all of that up. It's practicing wisdom and discernment. How do I respond to this situation, that situation, and so on? And so it's not for the sake of knowledge. It's not for the sake of broadening intellect. It's in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And the question is, how do you get there? How do you know when to move to the left in one situation and make this choice? Or move to the right in that situation and make this choice? How do you know how to respond? That's the question. And so Solomon lays it out for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now notice the order. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. Not paying him lip service. Not just nodding and saying, okay, Father, sure, I'll follow you in this. But being fully dependent. Now, he doesn't dismiss understanding. Do you see that? He says, don't lean on it. Of course he asks us to use our intellect. Of course he asks us to look at all the options before us when we're making a big decision. Of course he asks us to get advice from friends who are much more experienced and more insightful and more prayerful than we are. But he's saying don't lean on all of that. That's not where your trust belongs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And then in all your ways, in other words, in the action you take, the choices you make, the folks you turn to for advice and insight, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I'm sure I've told you before that one of the great blessings of the Presbyterian situation is committees. We can't take action on anything without forming a committee. And we really are very good at it. Because we don't form committees when we want to get something done. We form task force. And then we'll form an investigative group. And we'll call them whatever we want to call them, but they'll still be committees. And it's a great blessing, and I'll explain why in a minute, but it's also oh, so frustrating at times. Because you'll come with a wonderful, insightful, spectacular idea. You'll put it on the table. You have prayed through and thought it through. And they will pull it apart. And then six months later, they'll put it all back together. And guess what? It's the same as what you asked for in the first place. But here's the beauty of it. It may be the same, but it's an awful lot stronger. And you now have an entire committee convinced who have been prayerful and careful and cautious and deliberate. Proverbs 11. The counsel of many is important. And it is important. And so, as we look at Proverbs 3, 5 and 6... Let's look at it through the life of a particular individual. 
And that's one of the great things about Proverbs. They give you lots of little bite-sized principles that you can take and apply to your life, as we see in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And you can see them working out in biblical characters. Now, you have read enough of Scripture and you're familiar enough to know that with Hebrews chapter 11, there is what is called the Hall of Fame. And in Hebrews chapter 11, you find things like this. By faith, Abraham. By faith, so-and-so. By faith, and it goes on and on and on and on, just like this. By faith. On this occasion, and we're looking at Abraham, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, notice how it begins. By faith. Please don't miss that. Don't minimize it. Don't walk over it. Don't marginalize it. By faith. In other words, when there is a major decision to be made in your life, a crisis comes in your direction, you step forward and say, Father, show me the way forward. Lead me. Guide me. Help me. Allow me, please, to be utterly resting in you. By faith you move forward. And so Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Recently I've been reading again, and I'm sure I mentioned this a couple of years ago when I first discovered the American uh, historian Ron Chernow. And Chernow has written several biographies, the two I'm most familiar with, first read two years ago, and I uh, was going through them again between Christmas and New Year when I was off for a couple of days, one in George Washington and the other in U.S. Grant. And I thoroughly enjoyed both of them. Both of them became, and are the only two people in the history of the United States, to receive the rank of General of the Armies. Grant, as most of you know, before the Civil War, was working in his father-in-law's store as a leather goods salesman. He'd given up on the army, he left. I'm hesitant to give you his rank, I think lieutenant, but he left the army, he was a West Point graduate, and thought... Military life is not for him. And then when the Civil War broke out, four years later, he commanded the Union troops. Now, whether you like Grant or not, that is still a spectacular achievement. What was it that moved him to that level? What was it that moved a gentleman farmer, George Washington, to be not only commanding general but went on to be arguably greatest president. Was there wisdom, discernment involved there? I think there was. They're both good biographies, both well worth a read. And whenever you come to a good biography, and we're about to look at Abraham's in a moment, they tell us so much. First of all, a good biography translates historical truth into life. In other words, what can be the dry dust of historical fact once you put people and real families and situations before you, then you begin to see what was going on. So it translates historical truth into life. 
Secondly, a good biography creates a closer identification with people we have admired from a distance. And again, we're about to see that with Abraham. Thirdly, it offers stability when we go through similar experiences. And that's why when we read the Old Testament and we look at Moses and we look at Jacob and we look at so many others, we think, I can identify, I can imagine myself in that situation. And that's so helpful. Secondly, or excuse me, fourthly, a good biography helps us maintain a divine perspective in life. And if I'm reading a biography of Hitler, which I did about a year ago, it was multiple, 700 pages. I enjoyed every one of them. I sincerely found it distasteful at times. But I enjoyed it from a historical narrative. And I kept asking, where was God in the midst of this? How is he working out his purposes and his plans? Think of Gettysburg. 60,000 casualties in three days. Where was God in the midst of this? And yet we know this, and I've mentioned it before, if it wasn't for Gettysburg, there probably wouldn't be a United States. And if there wasn't a United States, the First World War and Second World War would have turned out differently. Because of Gettysburg? Most likely. The United States could not have come in to help the Allies in the First World War or the Second World War. Where is God in the midst of this? He knew what he was doing. Difficult, awful, terrible loss of life as it was. God in the midst of it all was still bringing to pass his purpose and will. And Abraham is defined in the New Testament in this way. This is a spectacular phrase. It comes from James chapter 2, verse 23. Abraham is defined, not simply described, but defined in the New Testament as a friend of God. Can you imagine what that was like? If you text someone and they text you back that day, they're your friend. If you phone someone and they phone you back that day, they're your friend. Even if it's 11 o'clock at night. Sorry, I was so caught up today. I just wanted to say hi. Praying for you. Sorry you're going through this. Was thinking of you. Think of that. A friend of God. And please remember... Abraham did not have what we have. Fast forward into the New Testament, way up into the 20th century and into the 21st century, and we have what Abraham did not have. We have the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ, And to top it all, he has given us the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And Abraham didn't have that. 
Now, he certainly was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, no question. And he was a man of significant faith, but he did not have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And we do. He would have longed for what we have, and yet he's the one described as a friend of God. Does that make him perfect? No, he messed up multiple times. And yet, a friend of God. Wouldn't it be nice to sit down with God and get just that little bit of discernment or wisdom? Don't you often think, and I'm sure I've told you this before, it would be so much easier if he would just write out every day what he wanted us to do and slip it in the mailbox. Today I want you to do this, I want you to speak to this person, phone that person, I want you to handle this situation like that. Blessings, God. And leave it in the mailbox. Wouldn't that be spectacular? Why doesn't he do that? The righteous shall live by faith. By faith, Abraham. What does that mean? You step out prayerfully, dependently. Father, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have it all worked out. I can't tie it all down, but I will trust you in the midst of it all. Help me, show me, guide me. Let me be yours today. That's what's going on. I better hurry on before I run out of time. And so in Genesis chapter 12, what do we discover? When God speaks to Abraham, he says to him, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Leave, leave, leave. January 23 is it time to leave some things behind from last year old hopes old dreams that may be holding you back old sinful patterns old manners of behavior thought process is it time to say by the grace of God I am done with that and I will no longer live like that and here's the question for the new year what are you willing to do to become the person God is calling you to be it's not a question what are you willing to do in order to become the person he's calling you to be a person who lives in obedience to him a person for whom purity of mind and thought and heart are important a person for whom transparency and accountability is crucial a person who lives a life that is authentic and credible what did we say at the beginning of our study from Colossians who will live a life pleasing to the Lord Abraham did it by what? listening praying and being obedient you see it in the life not only of Abraham, but Jacob and Joseph and Moses. You remember that wonderful passage, and we've touched on it in the past on Wednesday evenings, of God wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob had no idea who he was wrestling with initially. But at the end of it, 
Jacob was so badly beaten up, his hands were cut, his elbows were scraped. I imagine his face was swollen, his lip was bleeding, his hair was all over the place. And in fact, the passage tells us that God reached out and touched him in the socket of his hip so that for the rest of his days, Jacob would walk with a limp. And in fact, the passage ends this way. Jacob says, I have been blessed. He fought with God all night long and God disabled him for the rest of his days and he says, I have been blessed. Jacob, and please forgive me for this, didn't quite walk with God the rest of his days. He limped. Every single day. Can you imagine the pain waking up in the morning stiff and sore? Always a reminder of what? That from that day on, regardless of what else would happen, he would be dependent on God himself. And Jacob would tell us tonight it was worth it. Joseph, 13 years in prison for something he didn't do. Can you imagine? Thirteen years in prison for something he didn't do. And when he gets out of prison and stands before Pharaoh, who just happened to have a dream and needed someone to interpret it, here was Joseph. And Joseph never says to Pharaoh, Do you know, actually, I was treated badly by some of your people. If you will dismiss them and get rid of them, I'll be glad to interpret the dream for you. doesn't mention it. Because Joseph has changed. Prison has taken the rough edges off him. He is mature and dependent. And basically says, how can I help you? He was no longer focused on himself and his own circumstance because suddenly he found himself in Pharaoh's court and knew God was at work. And he practiced wisdom and discernment. Moses, we've touched on Moses enough for you to know that here was God beginning again with an 80-year-old. And incidentally, Abraham was 70 and Sarah was in 65. I think Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 60. Please don't think God is finished with you ever, whether you're 40, 60, 80. Each of them practiced trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight did it feel like a straight path for Abraham no or Jacob no or Joseph no or Moses no remember what we said last Wednesday don't fixate on your feelings because they can't always be trusted sometimes yes an intuition gut instinct is important Don't let them dominate. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household. And Abraham would be weaned away from many of the people and places he loved. Isn't that interesting? It's like the child in the candy store, isn't it? Hands filled with possibilities and good things. But in order to get the one they really like, they're going to have to let go of others. What do we need to let go of? Self-reliance, self-dependency, 
Self-sufficiency? Probably. Left behind many of the people and places he loved. He left the comfortable, the familiar, the daily. Abraham was being asked to make a decisive break with his past. Not the good times. Not those hallowed moments of good memories. But the past was simply in the past. And God was saying, Abraham, it's a new day. Let's move forward together. You can no longer live the way you once did because I am shaping and modeling and molding you to be the man I'm calling you to be. Abraham, what are you willing to do to be the man I'm calling you to be? Of course, he was obedient to the call of God. And he'd have to explain to his family and friends Can you imagine that conversation? The moving truck pulls up outside Abraham's tent and the neighbours gather and say, Abraham, you're going somewhere? Yes, we are. Sarah and I are moving. Really? How exciting. Where are you going? I don't know. Oh, okay. How long are you going for? I don't know. How long will it take you to get there? I don't know. When are you coming back? I don't know. And then when the moving truck pulls out and they wave goodbye, they look at each other and say, we'll be back in a couple of days. By faith, Abraham stepped out in faith. They took a monumental step of faith, embarking on going while not knowing. It's okay not to know. As long as you know who's got you. It's okay. And we said earlier, and in the process, and Abraham had a long life ahead of him, became a friend of God. And here's the great thing. <laughs> Gosh, how many times have we heard it down through the years? One with God is a majority. What everyone else thinks or feels is neither here nor there. One with God is a majority. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let me finish with, finish with a piece of nonsense, but it may be helpful. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing that, technically speaking, a tomato is a fruit that you would never serve in a fruit salad. Would you have someone over make up a fruit salad and put a tomato in a fruit salad? No, you would never do that. Sure, technically it's a fruit, not a vegetable. But you would never do that. Wisdom is knowing and sensing the call of God day by day by day and utter dependency on him. And it comes about how? When you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Not easy, 
Not uncomplicated, not difficult, but he'll make your path straight. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for our time together this evening. And we thank you for this book of Proverbs, filled with practical wisdom and advice and insight for us. Father, as we've explored it this evening, there was nothing especially new. But we freely confess it was good to hear again of your love and your grace for us. Father, on these Wednesday evenings together, help us please to answer those tough, searching, difficult, uncomfortable questions. And help us to respond to them. What are we willing to do to become the people you are calling us to be? Bless us, please. Take us home safe. Grant us a good night of rest. And enable us, please, to serve you well tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.